Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Znati Guma, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Uh, Derek Janza van Rensburg from Anchor and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Do send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thank you so much, gentlemen, to the both of you for joining us. Starting with you, Derek. I mean, we've seen the gains today after the relief rally that we saw on on Friday. Is this just markets clutching at straws? No, I think the sort of debate that's taking place at the moment is obviously we're in this very difficult uh, year that we're digesting from an equities perspective. And is this a dead cat bounce and is there any follow through? I think, you know, zooming out, one has to kind of detach themselves from the noise out there and kind of the bear market talk that's taking place at the moment. And then just kind of go back to fundamentals and look at valuations. So I certainly think, although we're fighting this rising tide of high inflation and increasing interest rates, there certainly is some value um, starting to appear, particularly from a global perspective. So I think all eyes are going to be on this quarterly earnings uh, reporting season that we've, that's currently underway at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see how much of that bad news is actually priced in. I see that the offshore banks responded positively to that Citigroup result last week. So I certainly think quite a lot of bad news is probably priced into markets at the moment. Still very much a stock picker's market. Uh, but certainly as we move into the end of the year, I think uh, you know better markets should be seen. And I think that we are going to start to see some better levels than, than where we're at at the moment. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, Rowan, do you think that markets are too excited too early? Or is it maybe also just a case of uh, investors not worrying too much about a recession or a deep recession? Yeah, I mean, it looks like the, the, the quick money is focusing on sort of shorter term news flow. So um, the trading is sort of quite volatile. Markets are moving up and down sort of on most recent sort of information, how much is priced in in terms of future uh, rate hikes, how much in terms of inflation expectations are priced in. That seems to be one of the reasons for the more recent optimism that those um, are moderating in terms of future inflation levels at least. So a lot of people are asking, you know, when is the market going to become less volatile and uh, more predictable? We think it's got a little while to play out still in terms of the fundamentals, so the medium term, um, because I think the high prices, the uh, higher interest rates that we're seeing now, and also, interestingly, the strong dollar is going to start impacting earnings. And that still has to be reported on. So that's what Derek mm. was mentioning. So I think a lot of people will look towards those, but... I think there is a potential for disappointment and that may lead to um, continued volatility and maybe some short-term share price weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, Derek, you mentioned uh, markets re uh, reacting positively to that Citigroup result that we saw last week. How are you viewing uh, U.S. earnings so far, just broadly? Because uh, Graham Frank actually made a very interesting uh, point earlier on, uh, saying that 80% of the companies that have reported um, have beat analyst expectations. But is it a case of market expectations are very low? Yeah, I think that's really the key point there, is that market expectations have certainly been tempered back somewhat. So any sort of uh, better than expected news is, is going to be quite well received by markets. 
Uh, I think earnings are going to be under pressure. They're going to continue to be under pressure, as I said, fighting this tide of rising interest rates and obviously inflation at the moment. The fact is, is that there is economic decline from a global perspective. So earnings are going to be under pressure, but again, it's how much is actually priced in. So any slightly better than expected earnings is certainly going to be well received by markets. That's what we saw at the back end of last week, particularly on the U.S. market. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, you just, I would caution getting sucked into kind of too much of the short-term noise and sort of be mindful of the fact that markets are down significantly from their highs. And I'm talking about developed world markets and you don't want to be left behind. You know, no one's going to know exactly where the bottom or where the top is for that matter. And you certainly want to be using the weakness to be adding to good quality uh, stocks within the context of a portfolio. Yeah. Uh, Let's zoom in on uh, the U.S. bank earnings. We've actually had quite a mixed bag there. So we've seen uh, the hit that banks have taken in uh, investment, uh, banking return, uh, revenue. But, I mean, uh, you see, um, you know, top and bottom line um, is still better than analyst expectations for both Goldman Sachs and Bank of America today. And, of course, Citigroup last week. But then on the other side going in the opposite direction we saw Wells Fargo JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley disappointing what's your sentiment on uh, these these uh, banking earnings that we're seeing right now Rowan yeah so I mean the uh, market participants are looking for information and I guess banks are such broad participants in uh, economies that um, it is a good gauge potentially obviously it also uh, is a um, part of uh, trading activity and general market activity. So uh, that also drives the earnings and uh, people are looking for an increase in, say, bad debts or a curtailment in lending. But we haven't seen that. So, yes, you say the, the revenues have actually been quite quite buoyant. Um, and I think it doesn't look like, at least in these sets of results, we are seeing evidence of a slowdown. So that is quite interesting. But um, maybe it's a little bit too soon. Um, to 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 actually gauge. So I think you know markets are looking for any positive news and are taking some of it out of the, the earnings. But the next quarter I think will maybe more telling uh, in terms of understanding what's going on from a real economy perspective. Mm. Just lastly on the macro front, um, Derek, uh, we had markets really being excited about those retail sales that came out on Friday from the U.S. I mean, is the excitement justified? What, what does it say about the, the, the consumer in the U.S.? Um, is it resilient uh, against all these challenges that we are seeing? So I think going into this, call it economic contractionary type period, uh, at the, that we're in at the moment from a U.S. perspective. You know, I think that the, the, the U.S. economy went into it in a very, very strong stance. So a very strong economic environment moving into this change in language. The Fed is, is obviously has to deal with this, the inflationary pressures that we're feeling at the moment by increasing rates. But certainly the re, sort of retail uh, participant not really feeling the pinch as much as what uh, markets kind of expected. So certainly some strong spending taking place out there or stronger than expected spending. I think Rowan makes a good point in that it's a little bit too early to tell. And you probably find that this is just a very short term data point. As we move into the next three to six months, that's certainly going to be a lot more telling in terms of uh, the effect from an economic perspective. So obviously, you know, as we start to see the physical increases in interest rates, 
there's a lagged effect on the consumer. So mm. as we move into the course of this week and we start to see interest rates go up from, from a Fed perspective, that lagged effect starts to take place, call it three months down the line or even six months down the line where they start to feel the pinch. The fact of the matter is we're sitting on very high oil prices. Input costs are extremely high. I certainly think that we, we, we're not out of the woods mm. and there's still going to be, uh, call it in general, some economic contraction from a consumer perspective. So still early to kind of call it. And I certainly think that the next quarter uh, quarterly results that we see are certainly going to be telling. And then again, we just got to keep our eye on those on those data points. And hopefully we start to see inflation starting to get under control because that change in language from the Fed where they can actually say to the market that inflation is within sort of what they expect mm. is going to be set, set the right tone for equities going forward. Yeah. All right, let's get into the viewer questions. We have one here on Renogen. Uh, can the panel give their view on Renogen going forward uh, for August 2022? And is this uh, still a great buy? Rowan? Yeah, so uh, Renogen is uh, the, the hydrogen story, really. And uh, they had a little bit of a setback. I think Ivanhoe um, decided not to proceed with the, uh, I think, the last round of um, sort of investment. And uh, so I think that may put a short-term dampener. I mean, it's fairly speculative. Obviously, you've got development-based assets. Um, they do seem to have some off-take agreements. So you really have to do your homework. And I guess you have to believe in the potential and future for hydrogen. I saw crossing my desk actually um, as most recently this evening, a, a big seminar that hydrogen is a part of the decarbonization economy in the future. So it certainly appears that there is a lot of potential there. So some of it's execution risk. And I guess that's quite hard to, to um, evaluate uh, versus the valuation. So I'd say it's, it's got potential, but it's still quite speculative. Yeah. On your side, uh, Derek, I mean, you're looking at a company that's basically going from an exploration uh, miner to, uh, yeah, the, basically the, what it says it wants to be a big player in uh, the hydrogen space. Um, bullish or cautious? So I'm actually quite bullish. And obviously, as Rowan uh, alluded to, there was this minor setback with Ivanhoe in terms of their due diligence process that's underway at the moment. Just be reminded of the fact that Ivanhoe have agreed to pay a volume-weighted average price to increase their stake. So it's going to be related to what the share price does within the context of the market. So, you know, that, that could be a strategic kind of move from an Ivanhoe perspective. But that said, I certainly think that the asset or the potential asset base that they sit on, if they can deliver this hydrogen to market from a global perspective, places it in a very niche environment where, um, you know, obviously, as you say, there's a bit of execution risk and you need to get to production. But if they can do that and they can do that timelessly, then I certainly think that the earnings potential out of Renogen is is quite significant. So, yes, you're buying it on, I, I don't think you can even value it on, on a PE basis, but you're buying it on the prospect of what they can, can potentially deliver. That management have certainly proven themselves over the last uh, two to three years to, to take the company where it is at the moment. They've raised cash. They, they've got enough cash on balance sheet to continue with what they need to do. Uh, maybe there is the potential of a, a, another rights issue or something to that effect. But I certainly think that there's an asset within the stable. They just need to deliver it to market. For me, 
At 35 odd rand, I'm bullish on the share, and I think that we should see higher prices. It's just going to take time to play out. Mm, talking about bullishness, we saw that coming through to Telcom on Friday um, after MTN, of course, uh, saying that it's in early stage talks uh, with a Telcom uh, yeah, for a buyout there. Um, there's a question here. If MTN is successful in its bid for Telcom, does this change your preference if you have any on MTN versus Vodacom? Rowan. Yeah, so I think uh, what uh, one of the things that MTN is looking to address by uh, approaching uh, Telcom is uh, access to those fiber assets. And that's probably uh, the, the jewel in the crown from MTN's perspective, where Vodacom, uh, uh, with this large CBIH uh, transaction, where they're acquiring uh, significant fiber assets, uh, part of a Remgro transaction, um, put them ahead. And uh, I guess it would would uh, certainly get uh, MTN to catch up. So, um, and uh, possibly that yeah was an area of weakness for MTN in terms of their investment case. Um, they actually, interestingly, between MTN and, and Vodacom are quite different. I mean, even though they obviously telcos in the mobile space largely, the risk profiles are quite significantly dr- different. Mm-hmm. MTN operates in quite high risk um, jurisdictions, uh, uh, Nigeria, uh, other parts of Africa, Iran still, um, whereas uh, a large part of Vodacom's um, business is still South Africa, more recently Egypt. So um, I think it's kind of your risk preference. Um, okay. But if, having said that, if they are able to pull off this uh, acquisition or at least a piece of it, maybe those fiber assets, I think it may look, uh, MTN may look somewhat more attractive relative to Vodacom. Looking at this, uh, Derek, I'm wondering if, it wouldn't have been an interesting play for Telcom to actually expand and maybe um, get a deal in with South Sea. Well, I think I think that puts them in a bit of a precarious position because I think South Sea's got its own issues to deal with, and we've seen that through uh, the shareholding via Blue Label. In that, uh, you know, lots of debt on the South Sea balance sheet that they need to sort out. Um, I think this would, you know, going back to the Telcom MTN deal, this is a much cleaner deal. I think the fact is that there's uh, fiber infrastructure that's in place that's got value to it. Then on the periphery, if you look at Telcom almost like a sum of the parts calculation, you've also got some property within that. There's some value unlock in the Telcom business if you just look at it and value it on that basis. So... I think what really MTN are, are trying to achieve here is, Rowan hit the nail on the head, is, is get, uh, get these fiber assets and then you're going to get some of the other assets which the market's probably not valuing 100% right um, as, as an added bonus. Uh, and then just to rem- remind viewers, I mean, MTN peaked out sort of slightly above 200 Rand and it's come right back down to 140 Rand. Yes, there's a higher risk associated to to the MTN sort of share uh, or business, just given the jurisdictions that it operates in. But certainly if you just look at the sort of cash flow underpin that the the business is generating at the moment, yes, we're going to continue to deal with some potential regulatory headwinds in some of the jurisdictions that they operate in. Valuation-wise, I think at 140-odd rand a share, it is looking very interesting. And if they can do this bolt-on acquisition, I think that uh, there's a lot of synergies that they can implement to actually increase earnings further. So, 
So I quite like the MTN share price where it is at the moment for, from a buying perspective. And I think that you're probably going to be rewarded with the degree of yield. I, I, I think that Celsi, um, yeah, they've got their own issues to deal with. And uh, it's still early days before they can think about kind of how they grow within the context of, of South Africa. Mm. So uh, from what I'm getting uh, with this uh, preference between Vodacom and MTN, you would go for MTN and this has kind of um, supported uh, your like for MTN? I think that risk to reward, I think the risk warrants buying uh, MTN at sort of just above 140 Rand a share. Yeah. It's obviously done well through the course of 2021, but I'm happy to take the risk at 140 and, and deal with it, and then hopefully I'll be rewarded with some dividend yield and some cash flow out of it. Uh, all right, uh, let's go into more questions. Um, so I've been holding the MSCI Emerging Market ETF, and it has been in the red for quite some time. Should I keep holding for long term, or should I replace it with another one? And uh, so I can, yeah, so can the panel suggest one for me? Uh, Rowan? Yeah, so I think the key is um, your viewer said for the long term. So I think if you're looking at ETFs in sort of uh, particular uh, areas or regions, and this is emerging markets, you have seen them uh, set off quite significantly with uh, this risk-off environment, rising global interest rates. So I think a lot of the pain has been taken, and this is not a great point in the cycle, as Derek was mentioning, and valuations are much lower um, value, and uh, some companies are looking interesting I guess you've got to have a sort of more macro view on, on uh, emerging markets say, versus the developed world. Certainly the um, differential in valuations was looking very appealing for emerging markets. Unfortunately, in this environment, all stocks or all regions or sectors are going down. Um, but I would think uh, it's a reasonable proposition from here. Unfortunately, the strong dollar does weigh quite heavily and um, oil prices, generally high oil prices, do weigh on uh, emerging economies more um, than, uh, say, developed economies. But I'd say that's all in the price at this point. So um, if uh, the, the oil price moderates, the, the dollar does come off a bit, we'll see some, some respite in emerging markets. So I would say hold from where you are. Mm. All right. Uh, let's get into gold. Uh, there's a viewer asking, how many gold versus gold fields? Um, yeah, gold fields has this uh, deal going on with Yamana Gold in Canada, where they've also uh, sprinkled some sparkles um, to uh, get more support from shareholders on that. Uh, how many gold? I think they had an update last week and it was uh, pretty good from what I remember. Derek, uh, how many versus gold fields? I think all these sort of locally listed gold miners are doing okay in this environment. We've obviously seen the gold price kind of peak out, call it $2,000, and slowly trickle down to this kind of $1,700 mark. Um, so coming off its highs, but uh, sort of contrary to that, you've also seen a bit of a weaker rand. So obviously, as you mentioned, Rowan, the, the, the sort of stronger dollar contributing to that. And that's all very favorable for a lot of these gold miners in this environment. I think... One thing to put into perspective is, uh, you know, South African listed gold miners are very expensive to run. They're very deep level miners. They uh, require quite a lot of uh, input cost and energy to actually extract that gold out. So from an offshore perspective, I think there's more profitable, profitable mines um, offshore mm. outside of the SA based environment. 
which kind of brings me to my preferred pick, uh, Goldfields, through this potential acquisition. And I tend to agree with you. There is that uh, sprinkle of sparkles that people need to uh, be aware of in the short term. But certainly I think that Goldfields have kind of looked beyond the South African borders to, to look to create better quality earnings, looking three to five years out from where we're at at the moment. Obviously, you're going to get some volatility in the underlying commodity price and exchange rate fluctuations. But certainly, I prefer the diversified kind of offshore approach that Goldfields are taking. Might not reward you in the short term, but I think uh, over the medium and long term, if you if you are a big gold player, which which I certainly am, am not advocating and I'm not, yeah. uh, I think Goldfields is, is, is better positioned. Um, Rowan, on your side, I mean, would you go for more locally uh, focused uh, stock um, or for a miner that does have exposure to offshore assets? Yeah, I think what you're seeing is um, those miners that are uh, more diversified in various jurisdictions uh, tend to get higher ratings, and that's part of um, Goldfield's rationale uh, for the transaction. Uh, where you as South Africa focused uh, gold miner, there are specific risks, and as Derek was mentioning, uh, sort of operational uh, issues and uh, declining ore bodies. So um, I would tend to go for a more diversified miner. Anglo uh, Gold is in, in a number of jurisdictions. They've had their own sort of challenges recently. But Goldfields is interesting partly because it's sold off so heavily on the uh, prospect of this transaction, but that again is all in the price. So there's some reasonable um, upside, I think, uh, if they can convince shareholders to to vote it through, um, that would be sort of net positive. And if the deal doesn't go ahead, to some extent that's positive because the share sold off on the prospect of the deal. Um, it does leave them a bit of a strategic quandary, but uh, you know there's probably more upside from this point than downside. So I think that would uh, would be a preference, just in terms of tactical entry point. Mm. Um, Derek, would you be applying this um, uh, logic of offshore versus local to the food uh, retail sector? So earlier on, I uh, had um, uh, a technical uh, analyst just analyzing the shares uh, between SPA and uh, Pick and Pay, showing that uh, Pick and Pay has continued to underperform uh, SPA for quite a while. So I'm wondering, uh, which one would you be going for there? Well, if those are my only two picks, I mean, obviously, we've got to look at the whole sector and yeah. kind of bring ShopRite into the mix as well. But yeah. I think I think SPA is a very well-run business, and you've got this sort of owner-manage mentality, which kind of drives revenue growth uh, from an internal perspective. They've obviously got the logistical side of things. So I... I would probably say SPA, the valuation on pick and pay is looking interesting. But I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, when you look at valuations, you've got to ask, well, why are they cheap and how long can they stay cheap? Okay. Um, I think SPA at this price probably stands out as my preferred pick over pick and pay. Mm. But if we certainly start to see a, a bit of a bid from a South African perspective across SA Inc., mm. then I would start to actually focus a little bit more on ShopRite just being a bit more of a flow monster down at those sort of lower 200 levels does look quite interesting. My preferred pick out of the, the whole sort of food retail space is in fact ShopRite, but yeah. between the two, I would go with Spark. Uh, Rowan, I would have loved to get uh, your perspective on that as well, but we are running out of time, so let's get to your stock picks. Yeah, so I'll start. Um, my stock pick 
is uh, Remgrow. Uh, we sort of alluded to it earlier in the program. Um, they um, are obviously quite busy with a potential transaction to uh, D-List MediClinic uh, in a partnership with MSC. And I think that has actually weighed quite heavily on the price. And what you're seeing it is in the discount widening uh, to around 40% discount to NAV, so discount to its underlying shares. Um, and that uh, is partly as a prospect, I think, of this transaction, but I think they're only going to top up from 45% to about 50%. So not that significant um, from Remgro's perspective in terms of deploying a lot of capital. And now you're getting another chance to buy a quality um, portfolio of assets and they are actually doing a lot with the underlying portfolio at a 40% discount. And uh, valuations are depressed and a 40% discount to that. It sounds like a good deal. Mm. All right. Uh, on your side, Derek, what's a good deal? Okay, so I'm going with an offshore listed Canadian business called Constellation Software. Uh, this business trades on quite a high multiple, but I think uh, for good reason. You know, this is a business that's certainly grown by acquisition over the last few years um, and as I said it sits on a bit of a high valuation but it just talks to kind of the reported earnings growth that we've seen out of this company which is around 32% year on year total return of around 33% so obviously um, a justified higher valuation but what I like about it is that it, it, it operates in multiple geographies around the world um, and certainly got that acquisitive nature some strong annuity cash flows also underpin uh, this business. So I think as those annuity cash flows come in, management are certainly on their eye for other acquisitions and, and looking to grow the business um, in that regard. So my stock pick tonight, Constellation Software. Yeah, well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your insights tonight. Thanks to my guests, Derek Jansa van Rensburg from Anchor and Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers. Stockwatch is back tomorrow, same time, same place. Have a good evening.